the 11th chapter of the prophet Isaiah, verse 1. A shoot shall come out from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of the roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on this one, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This one's delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This one shall not judge by what eyes see or decide by what ears hear, but with righteousness this one shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and shall strike the earth with the rod of the mouth and with the breath of the lips this one shall strike the wicked righteousness shall be the belt around the waist and faithfulness the belt around the hips the wolf shall live with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the kid the calf and the lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them the cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox the nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the people the nations shall inquire of Jesse, and this dwelling shall be glorious. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Have you ever seen Finding Nemo? It's a Pixar Animation Studios film that came out in 2003. In one scene, we find three sharks. In addition to the sharks, we have Nemo, who's a clownfish, and Dory, who's a royal blue tang fish. One of the sharks, his name is Bruce, says, Right then, the meeting has officially come to order. Let us all say the pledge. And then all the sharks intone together, I am a nice shark, not a mindless eating machine. If I am to change this image, I must first change myself. Fish are friends, not food. The meeting continues and Bruce explains. Right then, today's meeting is step five, bring a fish friend. <laughs> Do you all have your friends? And then we see for the first time a horrified little fish that we didn't see in the beginning, whose eyes are, are enormous, who eventually 
swims away. Bruce says, I'll start the testimony. Hello, my name is Bruce. The other two sharks. Hello, Bruce. Bruce. It's been three weeks since my last fish on my honor. One shark replies, you're an inspiration to us all. And the other one solemnly says, Amen. Isaiah's vision seems as plausible to me as sharks who have decided not to eat fish. Biblical scholar Kate Matthews describes the vision as astounding, almost unbelievable. She notes the order of nature that we all learned about in science class, the violence of predators that we accept as natural, will be overturned. In that great day, the rules of life will be changed, bent in the direction of gentleness and peace. Not just peace, but shalom. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls this vision the impossible possibility of a new creation. Almost unbelievable, impossible possibility, I'm not so sure. The real world is dog-eat-dog, red in tooth and claw. Turn on the Discovery Channel. Lions and wolves are not resting peacefully with lambs and baby goats. You will not see in any of the footage a bear and a cow napping together. I expressed my difficulty with this vision to the lectionary lab on Tuesday, and one of the regulars said something like, well, it is a metaphor. <laughs> a metaphor. Oh, right. So if the animals are not literal animals, but rather representatives of something else, then what is Isaiah describing? What is the prophet hoping for? Isaiah's vision, this vision of the peaceable kingdom, came at a time of great turmoil in Judah's history. King Uzziah left Judah in a position of wealth and power, but the ferocious power of the Assyrians crouched in the background, waiting to pounce on Judah. Assyria succeeding and succeeded in devouring the northern kingdom and devouring Israel because of internal pecking and squabbling. Judah escaped the claws of Assyria only to end up a tributary state. So now, when Isaiah is writing, King Ahaz has crossbred religion and politics by paying homage to Assyria's gods for political gain, which resulted in one of the worst periods of apostasy in Judah's history. Under King Hezekiah, Judah carved, craved military support from its former enemy, Egypt. Isaiah, the prophet, cried out against trusting in weapons instead of the things that make for peace. But in Judah, the wealthy landowners choked the life out of the poor farmers. The upper classes of Judah lived the lifestyle of the rich and famous, blind to the plight of their poor fellow Judeans. The official religion of Judah offered no effective rebuke. The religion was a mirror reflecting the political agenda of the government. 
The preachers of Judah proclaimed the politics of a particular political persuasion as though they were the policies of God. People streamed into the house of prayer and bowed to the gods of prosperity, security, military strength, status quo. God responded to this behavior to these people through the prophet Isaiah with these words from Isaiah 1. When you spread your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. The future looked ominous in the days of Isaiah. And the prophet, with the vision that only prophets have, the prophet uses animals to paint a picture of what might be possible. That instead of living under the constant threat of violence, instead of focusing only on our personal survival, survival, that another way of living together might just be possible. Peace. Artists tend to understand metaphor. Many artists have been so taken with this vision of Isaiah that they have created paintings depicting scenes. I am sure you have all seen an Edward Hicks version of this scene. He was a self-taught colonial folk painter, a Quaker preacher, and he painted between 60 and 100 Peaceable Kingdom paintings. When he died, he was working on another one. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there are all sorts of animals. There's always a child in the middle. The animals have huge eyes as though they can't believe this either. Ix's paintings could easily be dismissed as sheer fantasy, removed entirely from this world. But if you look in the background of almost every one of the paintings, you'll see Quaker William Penn seated at a table signing a treaty with the Lenni Lenape tribe of Native Americans. So within the background of the painting, it becomes no longer just fantasy, but a socio-political reality. For Edward Hicks, Isaiah's idolized vision had concrete meaning in the real world in which he lived. The painting on the cover of your bulletin, you can look now if you don't have it, is another representation of this vision from Isaiah. It was created by American artist John August Swanson. He included a broad and diverse array of animals, many more species than are mentioned in Isaiah. And his trademark style that he describes as influenced by the imagery of Islamic and medieval miniatures, Russian iconography, the color of Latin American folk art, and the tradition of Mexican muralists, we see this captivating image. What I find particularly inspiring about this painting are the people making their way up the trail, meandering through the mountains, holding candles on their way to the peaceable kingdom. You'll notice the child at the center has her own candle. One painting of the peaceable kingdom is entitled Peaceable Kingdom with Two Olives. 
It was created by artist Will Bullis and shows a lamb seated next to a lion at a bar. They each have martinis. A few years ago, PetSmart created another version of this vision in a commercial. Maybe you saw it. A bulldog walks through a door into a room and lies down near a blazing fire. A cat walks in and rubs itself along the bulldog and then lies down beside him unharmed. Next, a small white mouse walks in and stands next to the cat. It concludes with a child looking in on the room, seeing this unusual sight, and then the words, peace on earth. The animals are a metaphor. They point us to possibilities. They open our imaginations. They compel us to consider peace. And not just peace in our world, not just peace with each other, but peace inside. Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh speaks of peace with intimacy. In his book, Peace is Every Step, he urges readers to acknowledge each day as a brand new gift of 24 hours. He writes, we have the capacity to live in a way that these 24 hours will bring peace, joy, and happiness to ourselves and others. Peace is present right here and now in ourselves and everything we see and do. The question is whether or not we are in touch with it. We don't have to travel far away to enjoy a blue sky, he continues. We don't have to leave our city or even our neighborhood to enjoy the eyes of a beautiful child. Even the air we breathe can be a source of joy. We can smile, breathe, eat our meals in a way that allows us to be in touch with the abundance of happiness that is available. He concludes this section by saying, we're very good at preparing to live, but not very good at living. We know how to sacrifice 10 years for a diploma, and we're willing to work very hard to get a job, a car, a house, and so on. But what we have difficulty remembering is that we are alive in the present moment. The only moment that there is for us to be alive. Every breath we take, every step we make can be filled with peace, joy, serenity. We need only be awake, alive to the present moment. Peace is every step. And what we find is that our personal peace has everything to do with the peace in the world. It has everything to do with whether we're on the hostile committee or the hospitality committee. We are all connected and interconnected. What one of us does affects the whole. Our thoughts do affect global thinking patterns. Our decisions do change policies. Our actions make a difference in the world. When we stir around in sarcasm or apathy, 
when we walk away from dialogue, the ability of our world community to repair itself diminishes. Conversely, when we intentionally love, especially an irritating person, when we go out of our way to talk with someone who's hurt us, when we make a peaceful gesture toward one wishing us harm, then the world's ability to create peace is multiplied. The animals are a metaphor. When we work on peace within ourselves, our anger can share straw with our compassion. Our anxiety can reach its hand into the nest of calm. Our hope can be right next to our fears, sleeping together. And in this way, our world is transformed. The lion of consumption can learn to eat straw with the ox of abundance. You are enough. The wolf of hate, of racism and homophobia and xenophobia it can lie down at the feet of the lamb of justice. The little children are already leading us, leading us by their example in refusing hate, refusing to exploit the earth, refusing violence. Peace is possible. We can take up our candles. We can start with ourselves and work for a world transformed, a day of peace. Indian author Arunadathi Roy said, Another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. May it be so. Amen.